Timeless Voyager Radio. Self-development radio for the open mind. Interviews with leading edge authors and speakers. Psychic phenomena and the unexplained. UFOs. Extraterrestrial encounters. Government cover-ups. Alternative health care. New technologies. And now, Bruce Stephen Holmes for Timeless Voyager Radio. My guest this evening is Emmy Award-winning television producer, book publisher, and investigative journalist, Linda Moulton Howe. She is regarded by many throughout the scientific community as the most respected UFO, crop circle, and strange phenomena researcher. Welcome to the show, Linda. Are you there? Yes, can you hear me? Absolutely. Can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good. It's really great to have you on the show. We haven't done a show for a while, and I'm very happy to have you with me tonight. Well, thank you, and uh, I am glad that you are stressing the scientific investigation aspect of my work. Uh, it is what I have tried to do uh, over the past decade or so, looking at these mysteries, and I think that it is interesting tonight to note that we have just uh, been through a week of the bashing of Jupiter by what many people thought was a comet that had broken up. But I talked yesterday with uh, one of the major planetary scientists from Caltech about the fact that so far they have not seen really any oxygen to speak of, let alone no water vapor. And they're very puzzled by this because if it was a comet, then there should have been some kind of icy H2O, and they haven't found it. So now they're not sure if it was even a comet. It may have been an asteroid. And this sort of underscores this whole aspect of trying to find out the facts behind things. So even, even in the case of the scientific community, they were actually predicting something that we may find out uh, is completely different from what they told us. Yeah, in the sense that uh, all of the anticipation um, about this event was that a comet had broken up. Well, if a comet, by definition, is made up of uh, ice and rock, uh, there should have been, they hypothesized anyway, some evidence of uh, water or oxygen uh, where this impact hit. The fact that there has not been any to speak of is puzzling to them, and that's one of the uh, mysteries to be solved over the next uh, few weeks and months by these scientists about an event that many people are saying is once in a thousand years, maybe once in 10,000 years, and we were privileged to be alive at this moment with the right kinds of instruments out there to actually get photographs and to measure uh, with spectrographs uh, these kinds of measurements that uh, would allow a scientist to even say, where is the oxygen in uh, these impacts if we were dealing with a comet? And I think another part of this, too, is we often, whether we're talking about uh, the crop circle mystery or the animal mutilation mystery or any of the other unexplained phenomena, one of our big frustrations is that we aren't being told uh, enough details, whether it's in the media or uh, by people in government or uh, whatever, we're, we're often being kept in the dark. Well, even about this most recent uh, e 
event of a comet or asteroid impacting on Jupiter. In today's Philadelphia Inquirer, there was a major story asking, could such an event happen here on the Earth? And the surprising answer was that the risk of uh, an asteroid or a comet hitting our planet is about the same as, or, or you or me dying in, in such an event, is about the same as uh, dying in an air crash. And the uh, story went on to make uh, an observation based on a report that was presented to the House of Representatives in 1989, which I doubt any of us ever knew existed. And this is a quote from the report. In 1989, a half-mile-wide asteroid flew through Earth's orbit. The Earth had been at that point where the asteroid came only six hours earlier. Crop circles, animal mutilations, human abductions, and the different alien subtypes. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> if we can get that all in the next uh, 45 minutes or so, it will be a remarkable task. And Listen I to this one. We're going to try to do it in about 10 minutes because I want to let people ask you some questions. All right. Uh, what's going on with the crop circles? I hear some new stuff. Well, there have been uh, both in England, Canada, and the United States since the 1st of May. Uh, probably uh, the last uh, I count I heard was 30 or 40 in England. Uh, we've had one very large one up in Ontario, Canada, reported uh, this past week. Uh, there's been another one reported in Washington State uh, last week that's uh, supposed to be large. Both are about 150 feet in diameter. Uh, the month before, there was another formation in Oregon, and we have been able to get plant samples from that one analyzed. Uh, by Dr. W.C. Levengood in Michigan, and he found in that uh, particular formation in Oregon, in another ring and circle in Michigan, not too far from where he lives, and from an oval that was found near a mutilation, animal mutilation site in Garnett, Kansas, uh, also recently, the same what's called node swelling and node reorientation and node bursting. Now, a node in any plant is a part of the stem where the plant grows. And nodes usually are of a specific unswollen size, and they, uh, they grow with the plant vertically, meaning the stalk usually is growing vertically, and these growth nodes are in a vertical uh, line. Well, in the uh, crop formations, the unusual ones, in England, Australia, Canada, and the United States in the last four years, Dr. Levengood finds a consistent pattern in which these growth nodes are swollen, uh, reoriented as much as 39 to 45 degrees from the vertical, and some of the lower nodes that are stiffer and thicker actually have holes burst through them, in my new book, Glimpses of Other Realities, I show uh, photographs of a lot of his work. And fundamentally, uh, he is coming uh, to the conclusion that the biochemical and biophysical changes in many of the plants he studied for formations cannot be hoaxed, that there is no way that boards or machines or feet or hands could produce changes that are actually taking place at the cellular level uh, of the plants. 
And I think that's very important to keep in mind because many people are confused by the Doug and Dave story that made many of the national headlines back in the fall of 91 saying that these two old guys in southern England were responsible for the cross circle mystery. For anyone who knew anything about it that year and knew that formations had occurred worldwide in 22-some countries that Doug and Dave had never claimed, and that a biophysicist in a laboratory was finding all these changes that could not be hoaxed, it shows how easily the media can be manipulated and how easily the public follows what the media says. So bottom line, bottom line is these plants uh, are very brittle, as we know, usually, and, and uh, whenever a plant has been stamped down by a foot, it breaks. These don't. These are not broken. These plants are laying at a 35 or 40 degrees angle. Well, yeah. don't misunderstand. The growth nodes are up near the seed heads. Right. And uh, you're talking about a plant that is rising two and a half to three feet from the ground up to the, uh, the growth nodes below uh, the seed head, and suddenly they are veering off at anywhere from 39 to 45 degrees. So the, the point. Their point here is that this is a new uh, angle now. The uh, whoever's doing this, <laughs> or whatever is doing whatever's it. doing this, has come up with a way now that defies us even imitating it. Well, it certainly is difficult to explain, and the only conclusion that Dr. Levengood can draw now and say safely is, without any question, we're dealing with an energy system that is interacting with the plants and causing heating of the cell water in the plants very rapidly. That is one of the uh, findings that he feels pretty confident about, rapid heating by an en outside energy system. Before we uh, take a, a moment here, could, could our scientists, is there any way that we could do this? Well, you can take microwaves, and you can beam microwaves at plants, and you will cook them. The thing is, in the crop formations, the plants continue to remain healthy and grow. They are not cooked. And Dr. Levengood experimented with uh, microwaves. He put uh, a variety of plants from uh, wheat fields and barley fields and so forth, uh, experimenting with uh, a microwave frequency, and found that he could put the uh, wheat plant in a microwave up to about 30 seconds at the particular frequency of a normal kitchen uh, microwave. And he could produce some of the changes that he has seen in the plants, but if it went any longer than 30 seconds, the plants did cook. So he concludes that even if it was a microwave energy, which is not known, it is just one of the frequencies that will heat up water, if it were microwaves, whatever is going on has to be happening rapidly, otherwise the plants would cook. Well, there is a very interesting link here to the animal mutilation mystery that just occurred uh, last month in Garnett, Kansas. I got a call from a farmer who had his, found his second mutilation since August, and the heifer was lying in some crushed grass, sort of in a somewhat of a semicircle, and had the typical ear missing, eye missing, tongue removed, the genitals removed, and the rectum cord out, no blood, no tracts. And uh, a man who I know and uh, who called me and said, I'll go and 
help get some tissue from this animal for Dr. John Altshuler, the pathologist in Denver who helps me uh, do microscopic examination of these tissues. He says, I'll help you get it, and I'll investigate the scene. The next thing I got was a telephone call saying that the uh, animal itself had already been removed from the livestock by a livestock removal place, and so the body was gone, but that he had walked the vicinity, and about a sixth of a mile from where the animal had been lying, there was a huge oval about 165 feet long in a wheat field that was down below where the mutilation had occurred. And the farmer who I talked with said that he had, for the last three or four weeks, been hearing the sound of a helicopter coming from that direction over the wheat field, but that he had never seen running lights or a beam of light or an actual helicopter. He just kept hearing the sound. And assuming that this was helicopter downdraft that had made this oval, the investigator asked me if he should get any plant samples, and I said, yeah, if this is downdraft from the helicopter, let's get it examined and let's get some photographs of it under a microscope, and uh, we'll use this as a control comparison to uh, other sites. So we got plant samples to Dr. Levengood, and he called me just about 10 days ago and said, Linda, there is the same exact pattern in every one of the wheat growth nodes from this alleged helicopter downdraft. There is the swollen node, the reoriented node, the nodes burst from the inside out from heating. He said there is no way that a helicopter could produce these results. And this is part of a strange mystery that has been involved with the animal mutilations for 30 years. The sounds of what people say sound like a, a helicopter, even if they hear or see nothing, and then an association with animal mutilations, and often there have been reports of mutilated animals found in circles in pasture grass, uh, and whether or not the same energy or the same intelligence is behind both phenomena, I do not know. But these are the kinds of patterns of hard physical traces that we are finding and we are trying to measure with the help of scientists. All right, let's take a call. We have uh, Rosella, Santa Barbara, California. Welcome to the show, Rosella. Well, May, I'm so delighted to have a chance to talk with you. I've been following your, your uh, revelations in the Omni magazine. I don't think the public knows that uh, there have been, what, about four or five articles telling of the government cover-up. And it, I think it's essential that the public should know what's going on. Right. And I feel that we have some uh, pretty good proof out here in Santa Barbara. All right, and I tell you what we're going to do. Uh, Rosella, been I have aware. To, you were about to tell us about something that you had discovered in Santa Barbara. Yes, indeed. <laughs> we might uh, say that we have a similar, something quite similar to a crop circle, except that we are convinced, the great committee of us, that this was an actual landing of a scout ship. And it uh, left this uh, big circle where, um, well, it's, it's just too complicated to tell, but you could, uh, there were um, places where the landing gears had uh, landed. And we had um, messages from a number of different cycles psychics. I don't know if you're aware of the fact that uh, Santa Barbara is a great center for many things, UFO investigations, 
and excellent psychics. So we had wonderful um, traces of the ship landing, but we had the same problem that uh, there was no coverage, good coverage in the paper. Some people had called the police, some had called radio stations, so it was pretty well covered up. When was this event supposed to have happened? What is it? When was this supposed to have happened? Oh, no, but but this is the really interesting part. The answer to the question for you, Linda, is that it happened June 2nd. Basically, what we understand, and, and uh, I didn't want to talk too much about it, but I'm, I'm going to send you one of my pictures. <laughs> I ended up in the middle of the of the, of the picture in the uh, newspaper. This is what you were telling. Yeah, me. I was telling you about this the other day. Right. But anyway, uh, there's there's a lot of questions about what it was. But the thing that's interesting, it was a 62 feet in uh, diameter, and uh, other than that, I, it didn't seem to be as much of a crop circle as as Rosella mentioned. It looked more like something else. Uh, and and she had information from people who thought that it might have been a scout ship. Mm-hmm. That's about all I can tell you. Okay. We wanted to go back and just give some information. Now you you were talking about the uh, animal mutilations. Now you have tied these mutilations in, uh, very interestingly enough, uh, with uh, human abductions. Would you like to explain that to our listeners? Well, when I was working on the first documentary, uh, Strange Harvest, back in 1979 to 80, trying to find out what was happening to all these animals in the United States, Canada, and other parts of the world, um, I came in contact with a medical doctor who had a case of a woman in the Southwest who had been suffering headaches and nightmares and uh, finally had undergone hypnosis trying to penetrate amnesia about a night that went back to 1973 when she and her family had been riding in a car coming home from a bingo game in Houston, and they argued about a moving light that was pacing their car. And the story turned out to be a missing time case involving involving all five people in the car. And the woman, Judy Doherty, who underwent hypnosis, in the first session with the medical doctor could see what she thought was a brown and white animal rising in a pale yellow beam of light into an object in the sky. And in 1980, I uh, was able to work with her and Dr. Uh, John, uh, or Leo Sprinkle in that case, it was Leo Sprinkle from Wyoming, and we did the first hypnosis session that uh, broke through her amnesia And there she clearly described that what was rising in the beam of light was a a young brown and white calf. And 10 years later, her teenage daughter, who had been in the car and had uh, been reluctant to have any investigation when I was working on the first documentary, agreed to undergo her own hypnosis session and did this uh, with Dr. John Carpenter in Springfield, Missouri, who has worked with a lot of abductees. And under hypnosis, for the very first time, she also described seeing a brown and white calf going up in a pale yellow beam of light. And since that time, I have talked with half a dozen other eyewitnesses, totally conscious, not having anything to do with hypnosis, who have seen non-human entities with animals that are later found mutilated or simply disappear from the farm community. And what people uh, have described over and over again is the same type of four, approximately four feet, four and a half feet tall, gray-skinned or grayish-green 
green skin with large black eyes that have been seen with animals that are later found mutilated. And so there is even an eyewitness, broad daylight eyewitness link uh, to something other than human and uh, the animal mutilation mystery. And I think that today, in 1994, there are now, in addition to the Judy Doherty and her daughter, uh, there is at least one or two other mutilation uh, areas in Missouri where there have also been human abductions, and the human abductees have described getting some kind of information in their abductions about the mutilations and have suggested, it's just a suggestion, this is not hard proof, but have suggested from their abduction experiences that whatever is happening on our planet, it involves something out there that has some urgent need to survive and that whatever it is harvesting from our planet is being used for its survival. The question is, in that harvest of genetic material from this planet, um, what is, where do humans stand in all of this? What is the relationship of something that may be out there from someplace else in the universe? Uh, how does it look at us humans, and what are the implications for our future? And that's what many of us are trying to find out. Now, uh, a lot of this information is in your new book and yeah. also in your new video. Let's talk about your new book for a second. It's called, uh, well, from what I see, it's called Glimpses of Other Realities. Tell me just a little bit about it. You have, uh, of course, the crop circles are in there. Yeah, I, what motivated me to do this book is the frustration that so much of this is happening around the planet on an ongoing basis and very little is ever reported in mainstream media. I come from mainstream media as a longtime television producer and documentary filmmaker. That's how I got into this in t terms of investigating the animal mutilations. But I find that so little is actually um, reported in any way in the media and Glimpses is my effort to accumulate uh, 300 images in one book that goes from the crop circle investigation seen through the eyes of scientists and mathematicians to the animal mutilation mystery concentrated last year in 1993 in Alabama and other parts of the United States and the world and going back approximately five years to 89. That's what I concentrate in that time period, uh, so it's all recent. And the links to the human abduction syndrome in cases like Judy Doherty and others. And I uh, move into the last uh, segment in the book, which looks at what people in the human abduction syndrome have described and drawn uh, for the last 25 or 30 years all over the United States, uh, Canada, actually other parts of the world, and how similar the patterns of the descriptions are. There seem to be very basic types, and the, even though it may not be something that people want to be true, no one wants the idea that something can come into bedrooms or cars and take people up in beams of light, and no one wants to hear what I uh, interviewed a, uh, a man in Oregon who talked with a uh, cowboy at a mutilation site uh, recently, and I did this interview. Um, the cowboy said that uh, in the past few summers that he has seen round glowing disks come over 
where he has range cattle and he stays out in a trailer uh, trying to uh, protect uh, the cattle, and that these uh, glowing disks would send down beams of light over the cattle that he saw sometimes more than one animal rise in a beam of light, and then they would be dropped back down, crashing, making crashing sounds through the trees to the ground. Now, this is a live conscious report from a cowboy in Oregon. If this is going on around us, it is something I think we should all be paying attention to, and this is one of the main reasons why I have worked so hard to bring together the facts and the firsthand eyewitnesses uh, in many of these areas uh, in the book Glimpses of Other Realities. All right, so the book is 365 pages. It's an 8.5-inch by 11-inch format. That's a real big book. 300 images. Did you tell me that there are uh, mostly in... Over more than half are in four color. So this is incredible. Now, you also have a video, a brand-new video, called Strange Harvest 1993. Now, that, I understand, is a 60-minute documentary. That's right, and it just came out last week. Um, it has been an intense effort. I was uh, down in Alabama uh, twice last year working with a crew when over 30-some animals were found in a short period of time. Uh, as uh, I have described tonight, uh, the same ear missing, eye missing, tongue removed deep within the throat, the genitals, the rectum, and so forth, always bloodless usually, uh, no fluid, no tracks around the animals, frustrating law enforcement. Uh, this phenomenon has gone on for 30 years and has forced law enforcement always to look up to the sky because they have never understood how an animal could be found in this condition on moist or wet ground with no tracks around the animal, including the animal's own tracks. And in Alabama, it was as if the last 30 years came together in about a three- or four-month period in which there were so many lights seen above people's houses and so many videotapes were accumulated that in my new film uh, that uh, is really focused in Alabama but also includes other parts of the United States, Canada, and the uh, world last year, you see in the film videotape of some of the oddest light patterns that I personally have ever seen uh, being, re uh, being videotaped right off the backyard of a family uh, where the camera is focused right over a lake. There's nothing there. There's no road. There's no streets. It's just a lake out in the woods. And here are several lights doing a very strange pattern in the sky, some of them there for over two hours. And this is the kind of activity which has been seen and photographed on still uh, camera photographs in the uh, 60s and the 70s associated with animal mutilations. But this is the greatest number of videotapes made by residents in an area where these strange unidentified lights, unidentified helicopters, the sounds of helicopters without seeing any helicopter were all happening day after day while they were finding one mutilated animal after another. Now, you say that there are different alien subtypes, uh, and, and you, you mentioned, of course, the greys uh, as androids. Why don't we just uh, try to get that in before you have to take our ne next break? Why do you call them androids? It actually was suggested out of the uh, human abduction syndrome 
uh, where people who had encountered uh, these beings and others uh, had a sense that they that these gray beings were not what was in charge at all, but were in fact some kind of an android programmed to do work here. And there was a man who worked in the Navy uh, on a very sensitive program who had his own abduction experience, and he said they're just like bellhops. They come and they get us and they take us where we're supposed to go, and then they bring us back. And whatever is behind the operation is not what we're dealing with generally, and that is one of the big challenges. What is the intelligence that is actually in control of what's happening? Uh, the little gray things seem to be only intermediary work worker bees. I, you know, I feel so bad that we weren't unable to get a lot of the calls in tonight. <laughs> the, the time is flying. I know. Uh, but but let's let's continue because I think the information is what we want to get across most importantly here. So basically, uh, let's talk about these uh, sub subgroups yeah. as quickly as we can. Yeah, the the gray types that people hear about probably more on television than any other place are not the only ones. Uh, there are tall humanoid types, uh, some with hair and some with not, that are very enigmatic. Uh, there's, were, that, there's that music. Yeah, we'll, they we'll were in the Travis Walton case for those who All saw right. the feature film. Let's and come back. We're not in the film. I don't know where the time went. Award-winning television producer, book publisher, investigative journalist Linda Moulton Howe with us today. We're talking about we talked about UFOs, crop circles, animal mutilations. Uh, you were talking about the grays. We got about a and, minute. Yes, and the tall uh, humanoids that are also drawn and described, and there is. One very important description in a book called UFOs, Past, Present, and Future that came out in a first edition in 1974, the only edition that had drawings in it. And one of the drawings is of a being with vertical pupils, meaning eyes like a snake's or a cat's, with a very, very, very large nose, uh, holding a rod in its left hand with a coil around it, uh, with a uh, somewhat oval-shaped uh, disc in the background, and with a ropey kind of headdress rising above a head that has a kind of uh, peak dome on it of some sort. And in this book it says, the sketches on this and the following page are an artist's conception of UFO occupants based on eyewitness descriptions, and the eyewitness descriptions were allegedly from Holloman Air Force Base, White Sands, in 1973, when this craft and this being uh, supposedly landed and there was communication with some of our military uh, at Holloman Air Force Base. And if this has occurred, if this is true, if this book and this story and the, the sketches are actually based on true military and government a meeting or meetings with uh, a tall humanoid type, then this would um, basically contradict all statements that have been made that the government knows nothing about UFOs and is not interested. Linda, we are out of time. Uh, Scotty, my producer, asked me a question. I won't be able to ask you it, but, but here it is. You'll never be able to answer it in time. The Skinnies from uh, Robert Hyleen's book. Did you ever hear of them? No, but there is a type out there that people say is very tall, very thin, like a long, long skeleton. We're out of time. Thanks, Linda. Thanks, Bruce.
Thank you all for listening. I hope that your own personal voyage through life towards the development of your highest potential is a joyous and successful one.